0: You're listening to The Thriving in Chaos Project with Paulette Rigo, mediator, divorce coach, author, and founder of Better Divorce Academy. She invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. The podcast was inspired by our courageous journeys, connecting with others, having meaningful conversations, and impact through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette is joined by some of the most compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Prepare through the toughest chapters, reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly. Leave feeling empowered to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. It's time to thrive in the chaos. Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I am your host, Paulette Rigo. Today, I am absolutely delighted, and I mean that, to have as a special guest, Sherry Morris. She is a lawyer, a mother, author, and speaker who works with individuals and couples in any stage of conflict or divorce who need better tools to manage. Not only is Sherry here to discuss uh, her expertise and why she does what she does, but we're also going to take a deep dive into how to de-escalate conflict but she's also a registered yoga teacher. And those of you that know me know that I can get as woo-woo as as can be. So welcome to the show, Sherry.
1: Paulette, it's such a pleasure to be here and to, to get to know you better.
0: I appreciate it. And you too. I think we accidentally met on Clubhouse a couple years ago when Clubhouse was, I don't know, a thing. And I'm not saying it's not a thing anymore, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, criticism aside, I I think it's changed a lot. And so I'm curious if you have any points of view about that. But I do want to jump right into a little bit about why you do what you do, because I think it's really important that people don't just think there were professionals in the divorce world, because, well, we woke up one day and said, Oh wow, I think I want to be a blank. But you know, your business you have branded as dear divorce coach, right? So I I mean, I feel like you're my sister. My, my, you know, like we have like, I don't know, an IV running back and forth from uh, you know, I'm I'm on the East Coast, she's on the East Coast, because there are not that many of us. We're, you know, we're kind of a rare breed. And uh we we really do have a responsibility, Sherry, to educate people about what is a divorce coach, because your background. Is is very different than mine. So, why are you a divorce coach and and what is a divorce coach from your experience?
1: I am a divorce coach because I experienced my own high conflict divorce with children that shifted my perspective as a lawyer about what people need specifically in family law. I practiced law for a long time and didn't understand how different family law continues to be. Mm. People need, in my estimation, not just a good therapist, financial advisor, lawyer, legal counsel, but also an objective thinking partner, someone who can be right there helping them make practical decisions and helping them de-escalate. So I do now a passion project that has turned into a thriving career because I thought people needed this, and and I know that resonates with you, um, but I truly understand the value of this role, and I think people are beginning to understand the value of this role. So many people I talk to, clients I work with now say, a friend said, boy, I wish I had had a divorce coach, so I am often the most available professional people have in their contemplation in the midst of or post-divorce, And the Dear Divorce moniker really comes from the people writing to me or reaching out to me, hey, Dear Divorce Coach, what's up with this? What can I do about this? So I I really believe that we treat family law as if it's like any other category of contracts, and it's not, right? We are talking about family systems. We're talking about parents and children. We're talking about issues that resonate deeply with people emotionally. And whenever that happens, we can get lots of escalation. So I saw the real value of having skills, skill set from my practice as a lawyer and my early study as an undergraduate of conflict resolution in this field. So that's why I do what I do. And that's what divorce coaching means to me.
0: Mm. And I love that you mentioned that we are that most not... Uh, most attainable, most easy to reach, most accountable. You know, we're, we're there. We make ourselves available for our clients. And not to say that other professionals don't. This isn't, you know, a, a ranking on other professionals. But, you know, it, it really true. It, it, and if you ever are considering this as a career, you know, Please, you know, maybe you should have a glass of wine with Sherry and I because we probably will talk you out of it. Because there, you really have to have a very particular demeanor and a constitution uh, and strength and resiliency in order to be extremely successful at this work. Not just as a business person, correct? She's nodding, but if you're listening to the audio, but also as to be able to disconnect yourself from the emotional impact of working so intimately with your clients it can really start to drain. And some people have a hard time separating that. But we do need to make ourselves accountable and available. We can't just be that aloof person that, you know, we, you touch base with every two or three months. It's, we are, you know, walking through the trenches with you. I always joke that I would get divorced for you if I could, but it's not legal. So I'm going to get divorced with you. Right. And, and they, and they, you are like, okay, so now that we've set that parameter, uh, you mentioned a little bit too about how family law is deeply different from other forms of law or what I like to call more transactional law, right? Of the forms and paperwork. And again, those parts of uh, the legal world are incredibly important. You know, I've I've worked with real estate lawyers. You basically walk in, you don't know who the heck they are. You sit down, you sign 97,000 pieces of paper, you give them in and you leave. And there's, there's zero emotion. Well, I mean, 1%, maybe, but which is the opposite of family law, right? There's maybe not as much paper in some instances, but man, is there a lot more emotion. And it's a, it's a very different scenario. And picking the right form of law can be deeply uh, challenging, too, if somebody specializes in the wrong f- field of law.
1: I think that's really true. And one thing, you know, I came from a family of lawyers and my father actually took a lot of the family work he did. He was a family lawyer, advised me never to do it, that it was too much. And, you know, he was clinically depressed for reasons separate from that, but I think it informed his depression. So I absolutely agree, and I think what you said about boundaries and engagement are both really important, and one thing I'm not afraid to do with clients is hold them gently accountable as well, so in the same way we're accountable to show up, I, I you know, I am unafraid to tell them when I think they are not thinking in a way that serves their best interest or their children's best interest, so it's a delicate balance because you have to have, a, in, in my experience, and I'm sure you know this, Paulette, <laughs> you establish a rapport and a trust relationship, well, they will hear you, even when they are having a tough time practically implementing the behaviors you're suggesting. And that's that's the trust and rapport that that has to come on the front end of the relationship even if they're testing, test, texting excuse me, you and you have that escalation going on that you can say, take a deep breath, step back, let's think about it before you respond to him or her. What are we going to do right now? And they have to already feel that they can trust in your coaching, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely try to make sure we have a deep dive that they understand that they will hear from me and be held gently accountable to those values we said at the beginning. Um, But also I bring compassion. I I want them to understand that what they're feeling feels like no one has ever gone through this before. Right. Mm -hmm. And likely they haven't because very few of us go through, fortunately, many, many divorces in a lifetime. So I really want to validate, but hold accountability, which is, I think, a little tweak on the therapy piece, right? There's a lot of validation in therapy, which is great. And I think coaching takes it to the next level, which is to say, here's how I'd like you to behave until and if you have adopted the feeling around it.
0: Yes, and I have been asked that question numerous times. What exactly is the difference between therapy and divorce coaching, right? Because they'll assume it's the same. And uh, I did an episode on this a little bit while ago, but just to summarize, I don't know if you agree, but therapy is more about processing emotions, witnessing thoughts, noticing past patterns, acknowledging habits, maybe even diagnosing conditions, right? And it's a a long-term relationship, sometimes lasting one to five plus years, uh, you know, I've heard some people working with their therapist, uh, you know, over 20 years, so that's another podcast probably, but whereas divorce coaching is more about education, knowledge, wisdom, discernment, skills, tools, actions, having the right resources, preparation, research, organization, results-oriented, goal-attaining, but still wanting motivation and support, being held accountable, as you mentioned, but it... It works towards propelling them towards their best outcome not my best outcome, not yours, but theirs and what is really appropriate for them. But it's usually a shorter term relationship. You know, I I probably the longest I've ever worked with somebody is about three years. I don't know about you, but I, I, I would not want to work with someone 20 years. Not that I don't like them, but that it may turn into somewhat of a friendship if we're going to be twenty years. But you know, divorce coaching is a shorter-term relationship, but it encovers the entire process from start to finish. And I'm a very visual person, so I see divorce coaching versus therapy. I always say that therapy is more like unraveling a ball of yarn that's all tangled, and divorce coaching or is more like taking that same yarn and knitting a beautiful sweater with it. It's creating something that is unique to you. Um, and divorce is so incredibly personal and intimate, and no two divorces are alike. So, yeah. With that said, um, it, it's a it's an, an it's an entirely different form of law, as you have eloquently
1: demonstrate my experience suggested and and the practice now that I've been doing this for about 7 years full time it makes that abundantly clear and one thing i think that that i noticed that that maybe listeners can can use as a takeaway just from this description is when we can stop aligning our values with our former or current spouse that we are getting divorced from. Everything cannot be, in my experience and professional opinion, about the win. The win is not necessarily good for you. What we're looking for is the ability to step away and to create your own values and potentially your own parenting because you cannot agree right with a co-parent who may be high conflict or toxic figuring out that sweet spot for you. So reminding yourself at every juncture that you're now recreating a lot in your life. And that as long as we're still, we still have what I call that hook of the X, then every decision, every thought you have filters from that. It's a really, it's a really disappointing place ultimately to be. So a lot of the work I do on the front end is how do we unhook and yet stay, you know, especially if we're co-parenting, stay neutral in communication and cooperate for the best interest of the kids. And that's a really hard thing to do because you're going to be connected to this person if you share children for a lifetime. So I, I think that's the work of it. I couldn't agree more, Paulette. And I think my longest client actually is someone who was contemplating divorce, and I didn't see them every uh, day or every month or even every year, but since 2017 and now has successfully concluded his divorce. Um, but yes, it, the idea is not that he's letting, you know, laying on a couch every week talking to me about the relationship with his mother. Although I did get him to a good therapist who could help him with that, right? So I think, I think the critical piece is we are here to help you shift what needs to be shifted. Um, in any stage of divorce, and then, you know, allow you to hopefully live your best and abundant life next?
0: Mm. Well, you have a unique experience and viewpoint on how to de-escalate conflict, and I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit to that. So, Conflict, well, it's unavoidable in divorce, right? It's part of the chemistry of it. It's, you know, it's just there, right? It's the elephant in the living room, as I like to say. Sometimes it's really big and uh, unavoidable, and sometimes it's just an annoyance like a fly. But uh, So what advice can you give to anyone in whatever stage they're in about little ways to manage and how to de-escalate conflict?
1: So I really like to think that my expertise is, in the, is on this very issue. So I, as an undergraduate, I studied um, you know, conflict resolution. I went on to law school. I didn't practice in a particular area to do that, but I stu- you know, was a mediator. I was always drawn to the stories of people who could work it out. And I think for me, what I've noticed, the pattern over time in conflict is it's up to us to de-escalate ourselves first to then look with more neutrality at the issue before us, and then to decide that we're not going to resist the alignment with the person on the other side of the conflict. So in other words, it's not about them, which I hinted at earlier, but it's really about us. So what can we let go of to move forward? And often that means, and and I do like collaboration with the psychotherapy practice. They see people all the time in therapy who you know, need support in their relationship with their mother, their sibling, their grandchild. And I sometimes step in to work with that family system to help them figure out, you know, you so eloquently described this ball of string and you're really trying to unwind it, separate those threads, right? And figure out what's going on. But the first thing we all need to do, and this is, I think the takeaway is de-escalate ourselves. As long as we are still escalated and attached to the idea of winning or the idea of being right, then we're not going to be successful in the conflict. And that is, you know, probably the hardest thing to do. But there are tools I use with my clients to do that. And I think that's the first and best thing we can all do. Try it today, right? Even if you have a little bit of road rage, you know, try to shift yourself, do a little breath work. I mean, obviously, you're a yoga guru, you know, all of this, but I really try to have people do breathing exercises, take a a break, like simple practices that can really shift your perspective. So I think number one is shift our perspective and that that requires tools to do that
0: mm. because so many people see their ex-spouse to be as the enemy they are there they want to you know they're out to get them you know they feel like the victim and there's finger pointing oh. and it's all oh, to blame, and the, the <laughs> right and the victim and, and 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 victim mentality you know it it, it can be very deep debilitating And there, we're going to get a little woo-woo because Sherry and I have both done our yoga teacher trainings and we're yoga teachers. And we love to talk about pranayama and probably chakras and mulabandha and probably shavasana and all kinds of other sutras and stuff. But um, when it comes down to it, there was one... card. I used to use these cards and put them at when people were in Shavasana, I would put cards at the soles, not the, on the soles of their feet, but by the soles of their feet. Um, and I wouldn't look at them and pick them and I would, you know, leave them for them. And it would be a little gift. And I got a card from a teacher that made an impact for me. And it it sort of summarizes what you said. And I remember it succinctly. And it was when we release our attachment to the outcome we allow the power of grace to work its magic. It is so easy that. in divorce to get attached to the the result the the settlement the decree what you got what you didn't get right the like who won who lost like well i got this and i got that and are you you know 50 50 legal custody or i got all primary this and oh like it's a you know like i don't know you're in vegas or something and you're like you know a deck of cards like what what's the card the hand you got, right? And, and it's not that. It's so incredibly used the term, you know, let go in order to move beyond it, like letting go, right? And, and in Sanskrit, the word is varagya right? It's it's, a non-attachment, right? And uh, not so many divorce coaches and attorneys can talk to their clients in Sanskrit because they'll think we're smoking something that, you know, smells interesting. So, but there is this sense of attachment, right, Cherry? Of like, uh, I like, I got to get this or I lose, or I'm a bad mother or a bad person or a bad father or whatever. And it's so not about that.
1: And it's interesting. I really love that you named the attachment and it's really the work of a lifetime for many of us in many categories, right? So, so knowing that makes it more universal, but bringing it back to divorce, I think that once we can begin that work, right, of non-attachment, of what do we, why are we holding on, for example, to the victim mentality? Even if divorce was not our idea, for example, even if they did bad things, how does it serve us to hang on to that? Is it because we need our community to view us with a particular lens? Because one thing I've noticed over the time that I've gotten divorced and serve my clients is nobody else is really examining your life in that careful way that you imagine they are. You have to take ownership of it and lead your life because it doesn't matter the people who are gonna stand by you are the people you want to stand by you and those that don't good riddance so Mm -hmm. I think part of the attachment becomes so much about that they need to know he did she was right but in the end it's really where we are and how our kids are doing
0: Mm mm-hmm very true um that outcome should be something that makes you smile and look forward to, and you see it as a new chapter and something beautiful, you know, it's maybe not so easy to get there, but it it is, it is on the other side, something that you can look forward to.
1: Yeah. And even if things don't go well, because bad things do happen to good people, right? Um, how are you using what we all hope never to need, but ultimately do, which is your skills and tools of resilience. So I think building resilience during that difficult time with our clients is incredibly important. And again, there are ways to do that as they make decisions along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, divorce is never easy, you know, even in the most amicable situations and it's, you know, they all hold hands and try to get through it together. There's going to be conflict. You know, not everybody agrees and everything, and it can be deeply painful to not see your child 24-7 um, although many parents, once they get used to the new schedule, go, oh, I look forward to having the weekend to myself. They, maybe they don't want to admit that. <laughs> it's a, just a little secret between us divorce coaches, right? No one's listening, right? But there is that like, oh, I get to go do what I wanted for four and a half minutes, right? Um, but it is hard. And then, of course, splitting financial. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge decision there, what to do with the marital house and the 401 this then the 401 that so it's uh it can be really challenging but when it comes down to it I love how you you know what what do I need to let go of and that hook that the x still has on you when you can let that go and be free of the hook and I love that you called it that I do see a transformation so yeah
1: and one thing I would say as an exercise in this is start to behave neutrally, that helps us unhook. Even Mm -hmm. if we're not feeling it, don't let them see you sweat, right, is the popular expression. So when you're writing emails, when you're texting, which don't do that too much, but when you're communicating in a neutral way, take the emotion somewhere else. Yeah. Use it. Talk to me, talk to your coach, talk to your friend, but don't put it in that communication with your ex. It doesn't serve you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't serve your kids. And I, I think that's a practical tool about de-escalation.
0: Right. Just the facts, Jack, right? Um, <laughs> I, I always say it there like railroad tracks. On one side, there's a bowl of the psychological, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual side of love, romance, and divorce, right? It's, and And on the other side, there's a spreadsheet. And those two worlds don't see each other too well. And it can get long and expensive and painful when that spread the the emotions and all that gets dumped on the spreadsheet. And sometimes it can look really nasty, you know, raw eggs and Tabasco sauce and other things that aren't so pretty. But then, or they're the more factual person and they've got the spreadsheet and they crumple it up out of like, aha, I'll show you. And they throw it in the bowl. It's like keep it, keep those two worlds. Yes. Do not send flagrantly emotional text messages and all that. So ah, keep them separate, right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that's, that's, I think the key to this de-escalation, de-escalate ourselves, stay neutral with your ex or soon to be ex and the rest can follow. And, and that's sort of the jumping off point for how we start to de-escalate the system.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your, your story, your expertise, a little bit about why you do what you do. Um, and what is the best way for people to learn about you and follow you?
1: Thanks for asking, Paula. Deardivorcecoach.com is my website. It's a great way to find me. I've got lots of no-obligation material there that you can read. You can set up a discovery session with me. I love to talk to people. I want to hear from you. If you want some advice, there's an advice column. Send me questions, and they may get answered right there. So Um, I am available. You can definitely find me on the web. And I want to hear from you if you are struggling in any stage of divorce.
0: Yep. And take it from two women who have been through difficult divorces with high conflict situations, um, are deeply engaged in the divorce process um, and do this every day. We are here to help. Do not go it alone. It's too risky. Uh, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made, and you need to make smart choices. So, um, my uh, love is Better Divorce Academy, and my new my new love is being the director of divorce coaching and management for DivorceRightInc.com. So, more coming with that soon, but that's just a tease of uh, what's to come this summer and fall. With all my love, thank you, Sherry. Everyone out there in Thriving in chaos land, keep thriving. Think you may be the next guest on the Thriving in Chaos Project podcast? Reach out to Paulette. Email her at paulette at betterdivorceacademy.com. And no matter what, keep thriving in the chaos.